0: Good to be with you. This morning we are beginning a brand new series called Into the Wilderness. Uh, we are going to be looking uh, and exploring some of those questions that came up there. These questions that we're, we're looking at seasons in our lives when we go through times where we kind of feel like it might be wandering through the wilderness and questions that come up are, hey God, where are you during these seasons? Or what am I supposed to be learning? Or maybe wrestling with doubt and questions about whether God even is real and how can we believe that what we believe about Him? him. And so we're going to be using uh, the the weeks coming up leading into Easter to explore this series and to explore these things and ask the question, what do we learn through those? Because those days are coming for all of us. If you're not in one, if you've come out of one, if you haven't, there's one coming. And and so it's part of life that we go through the wilderness and seasons like that. And so we want to just kind of take this time leading up to it. So that's a goal of this series that we have that we're looking at. Now there's another part of this, is this series is leading us all the way up into Easter. And we, I want to challenge, challenge you with something as a church this year. It's new for Seekos. Some of us have done it, but not everyone. But this also traditionally, on a church calendar, is a season of Lent. And, and Lent is this tradition that's older than any denomination. It's uh, now f- ever since the 4th century... And it's a season of time that now leading up to Easter, Lent is an English word we have, it actually is kind of related to to lengthen, and it's to stretch us, and it's this long kind of period of time, uh, 40 days about, uh, leading up into Easter, where traditionally the church has used that to fast from something, to reflect, and to prepare our hearts. It's a way of sharing in the sufferings of Christ, and also just kind of focusing and pointing our hearts towards him. Now, some of you maybe are from a tradition where you've participated in Lent. It might bring up good memories. It might bring up bad memories for you. Uh, but the one thing that we want to do is we know that this is not, we don't want to be legalistic about, any, about it. It's not what is going to save you. But this is a spiritual discipline. And I think it's pretty cool that ever since the fourth century, there's all these Christians who've used this season to sacrifice something, and to refocus our hearts. Now here's kind of how it works, and here's how I want to challenge you. We have three questions. If you follow along with the outline at the very bottom, there's things you can ask, uh, questions for this season. It's also a great thing to do as a family. My family and I, we've done this uh, many times. But one of the first questions is, what's something I could maybe give up or fast from during this period of time? If you've never done it before, it's a great challenge. It's really hard. It's amazing how as soon as you say you want to give something up, there's nothing you want more. <laughs> so uh, that, that's something that, but it's really cool to have that because then every time you crave that thing, it just points us back to our need for Christ. Say, Lord, look at how I try to fill my heart with all this stuff, all these different things. And so every time you crave that, a challenge is let that turn your heart to prayer towards something else. Now, you could give up. Now, some people traditionally, it's kind of become now where people just give up a vice and say, cool, I'm going to get healthy for the next 40 days. But really, the, the point of it is that what is something that to you would feel like a sacrifice that would remind you? It might be giving up something like caffeine, God forbid, um, or... <laughs> alcohol. It might be a certain food. It might be give up 15 minutes of sleep every day and wake up earlier and focus that time for prayer. It might be for some of you giving up your daily latte and make it at home instead of buying it. And then maybe you can use that money at the end of Lent to be generous and to bless someone else. So it can go a lot of different ways for us. Now, so A couple things about it again. Let's not be legalistic about it. Uh, We are saved because of what Christ has done, not because we participate in something like Lent the spiritual discipline that helps us refocus our hearts. Secondly, here's good news, is traditionally Sundays are always a feast day. We don't have uh, uh, sorrow all the time. We come together as a church family to celebrate. So traditionally on the church calendar, Sundays are always a day of celebration. So you only have six days of fasting a week, okay, from something. And, and uh, that's kind of how it has worked. And um, And it already started on Wednesday, so if you want to participate, you're already three days in. Congratulations. You're doing great. (laughs) You're doing great. Uh, But so we want this to coincide with our wilderness series to remind us, again, of sometimes we go through long seasons, but what does God do and work in our hearts in those seasons? So that's kind of what we're doing. Invite you to participate if you'd like. Uh, Let's pray as we get started with this sermon series. God, we thank you again for today. I thank you so much that as we look forward to Easter and celebrating the resurrection, that God, we are looking forward to something that reminds us that this life is not in vain. That Lord, what you've done on the cross and in the resurrection has secured who we are in you. And Lord, it's also promised that you have a plan for everyone here and those outside where you want to welcome people into the family of faith. And God, so let us as a church keep putting our hearts back towards you and letting it be all about you. Even in this season of sacrifice and identifying with you, Lord, would you remind us of how close you are and remind us of who we are in you. And so, God, we thank you. We pray for the series we're about to enter. Lord, would you teach our hearts and transform us as we go. We give you this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles. Um, Throughout this series, we're going to look at different characters and seasons, uh, things that we find uh, throughout Scripture. People who've gone through a wilderness. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37 today, kind of 37 all the way through 50. We're looking at a guy named Joseph. We've studied and looked at his life before, but we're going to pull out a few things for this now uh, out of his life for this series. Now. When we think about the wilderness, it, for you, you might picture, uh, kind of like on the screen, you might picture you're wandering through the woods. It's kind of those Bear grills moments you need to have. like, What are my survival skills to get through this? For some of you, a wilderness might be up in the mountains. For some of you, you kind of picture a dry desert where you're just, there's nothing out there. Um, scripture uses actually the word for wilderness in Hebrew is the same word for desert. Like that was their wilderness. It was kind of dry, barren land. But when we think about these, I'm often reminded of, uh, I grew up military, so I've lived all over the country, but um, I lived in Minnesota when I was really young for a little while, and uh, when we had a wilderness, we called it the woods. Anyone from the Midwest, it's called the woods. It's not a forest, it's the woods. And so uh, we would play in the woods um, often, we had it right next to our house, and So one of the things is we would go and wander through there and and get lost, but just keep playing, and eventually you come out of it. But there's times you're like, we have no idea where we are in the woods, but we know if we keep walking, we'll eventually end up somewhere. Um, And then also Minnesota, when you're done with that, you always had to check your hair for um, wood ticks. Uh, We also had a swamp right next to our house, so also leeches. So too much information for some of you. There you go. We had our stand-by-me moments with those, but... Those of you who like 80s movies, you'll know the reference. But, <laughs> but one thing about the woods is if you didn't know where you were, sometimes you'd come out and you'd say, Oh, I know where we are now. We're over by Eric's house. We're over by Dan's house. And it's, sometimes it's amazing that when you're in the wilderness, you're in the woods, you don't know how far you're going or what, where you'll ever end up. When you get out, you realize how far you've actually come when you persevere. It's like that spiritually. There are times that we are just in the middle of a t- season of testing a challenge of doubt of whatever it might be, and we don't know when we're going to come out of it. Unfortunately, there's very rarely a time when you say like, oh, we see the end. It's right there. Let's just go two more days and we'll make it. Sometimes you just have to keep going and going until eventually you come out of the woods and you look back and say, wow, look how far God has brought us. Look how far we have come. Look what we've learned through this process. And so that's kind of some of the things that we're going to explore. Now, one of the things about this, though, is when you're in a season of wilderness, sometimes it feels like you're the only one. Maybe you're here today, and you might describe your wilderness as a desert. And you say, why is it that I'm in this, but I look around, and everyone else seems to be fully doing just fine. I'm in a season of dry period, and everyone else is just flourishing the spirit of God is moving in their lives and here I am sometimes you might feel like this scene from this great American classic movie this might be you how you feel spiritually go ahead and roll that (laughs) All right, well, some of you, (laughs) maybe you're here this morning, and you feel like there's just dirt in your face, or one little drink, and then you look around, and there's people just drinking in the water, raising their hands, the water's flowing down their face, they're wasting the Spirit of God's presence on the ground, (laughs) while you're saying, I just want a little of that. We want to encourage you in those seasons that we all go through them. And there's a time of learning that we want to look at here today. Of you're not alone, but God is teaching us things through this. So let's look at the life of Joseph. Now, Joseph, starting in uh, chapter 37 of Genesis, is, he's, his story's pretty long, so we're not going to be able to go through all of it. I'm going to give you the highlights and share certain things about Joseph. Joseph, so you know, is a brother number 11 out of 12. Uh, It starts off and we see that Joseph receives this dream from God, this revelation from God, that God had a plan for him, that he one day would be rising up and and would be a leader somewhere, and even his brothers, his mom and dad, would bow to him, but God was going to use his leadership for something significant. That was a dream that was revealed to him by God. So that was kind of how he starts off this narrative. Now, you could imagine if you are one of the older ten brothers and you hear your little brother tell you that, it doesn't always go over well. So we find here in chapter 37, uh, pack, picking it up all the way in chapter, or verse 22, the brothers are hanging out in the desert, in the wilderness, and they see Joseph coming to him. And in chapter, or verse 22 of chapter 37, Reuben, one of the brothers, says, or they came up with an idea. They say, when Joseph comes, let's go ahead and kill him. So that's an extreme response. But in verse 22, Reuben says, hey, uh. Let's not uh, shed no blood, throw him into a pit in the wilderness, but let's not lay our hands on him. And, and Reuben said that, that he might rescue them out of their hands later and restore them. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped him of his tunic, and they took him and threw him into the pit, and that pit was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25. Then they sat down to eat a meal. Hey, isn't that great? Isn't that just like, that's just like older brothers, is it not? <laughs> They throw him into a pit, and then they say, I'm kind of hungry. Let's have lunch. (laughs) So they sit down, and they start having a meal while he's sitting down there in the pit, probably saying, not funny, guys. Not funny. You can let me out at any moment. And they raise their eyes, and behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming down from the Gilead, and they had their camels with them. Jump to verse 26. Judas said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother And cover up his blood. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. I mean, come on, we shouldn't kill him. He's our brother. Let's sell him. (laughs) And so they sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they brought him down to Egypt. Fast forward all the way down to verse 36. Meanwhile, as the Midianites arrived in Egypt, they sold Joseph to Potiphar. Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. So here we are right now in chapter 37. Joseph believes that God has called him to something great. He's anointed him and said, you're going to be a leader over your people. I'm going to use you to preserve the nation. So that's his identity. That's what he knows. Now he's sold into slavery. And now he is working in the captain of the bodyguard for Pharaoh down in Egypt. This feels like a wilderness moment in Joseph's life. Literally and figuratively, he now is saying, God, what are you up to? Was I wrong? Was my dream wrong? But we learned some important lessons from Joseph's life here, and I want to show them to you. First one is this. What we learn is a change of circumstances does not mean a change in identity or a new identity. Just because your circumstances change, it doesn't mean that now your identity has changed. Now, definitely, I'm sorry, definitely if we are people who go through things, we are transformed by that, that shapes kind of how we live and who we are, but your core identity is not changed by your circumstances. And in this case, Joseph's identity was as a child of God. He was one of the Israelites, and, he had, and God had called him to live a certain way. The people of Israel were called to represent God to other nations, to be a blessing to all nations. That doesn't change based on your circumstances. For us, for you, and for me today, as if we have given our lives to Christ, that we are sons and daughters of God. That is who we are because of what Christ has done. We are in Christ. That's what's true of you. And when your circumstances change, that identity doesn't change. But it's very easy for us to identify with circumstances, and here's what I mean. For some of you, maybe you identify and say, My identity, I am a single adult. That's who I am. And I happen to follow Christ. Or maybe I'm married with kids, and that's who I am, and I follow Christ. I'm a successful business person, that's who I am and I follow Christ. And we switch things around when the truth is, no, you are a child of God. You are in Christ and you might happen to be single. You might happen to be married. Even the sin in your life, the struggles you have, that's not what defines you. Let's think of ourselves not as sinners who are saved by Jesus. That's true. But here's a better way to think of it. You are a saint who sins. Your identity is what Christ has made you. So you not your circumstances and what defines you, you track in with that, understand that? You are a saint. Turn to the person next to you and say, I am a saint. Tell them right now. That's right. I, I love seeing some of you kids look at your parents. I'm a saint. Just, the pastor said it, let it be known. That is who you are. You might be a saint who happens to also be an alcoholic and you struggle with that. That might be true, but your identity is you are a saint. You are in Christ. You might be a saint who struggles and wrestles with your sexual identity. That identity is not who you are. In Christ is who you are and you have your other things that you're wrestling through in your life. And and we often mix these and we put circumstances as a thing that defines us. What Joseph, what we see is his circumstances changed, but his identity remained secure. We find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, and following Paul's writing, he's talking about this very idea, and he says, this: From now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to our flesh, according to our old selves, he's talking about. Yet now we know we don't know him this way any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed and the new things have come. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's your identity. You are in Christ, and now you are invited to be a part of what Jesus is doing in bringing others into that same identity in him. We're now invited to participate with Christ in helping others know about his life and to experience this love. That's why we say here, We exist to help people discover life in Christ. That is our core, why we exist. Because Christ has given us life. And we want it for others. That's what's true of us. Your circumstances, what you are going through, shape you, but it doesn't change you. You are in Christ. We see that in this time of the wilderness. It is so easy sometimes in the wilderness to feel like that is what defines us. So difficult. to to really believe this identity. So we need to remind ourselves time and time again. We see that Joseph here, because he understood his identity, we found that instead of learning to mistrust others, which I don't know about you, but if my brother sold me into slavery and now I'm here as a servant in Egypt, I would kind of not trust people that much. But we find throughout Joseph's life, he learned to forgive. Did he learn to forgive because his circumstances made that easy? No. It's because he understood who he was. As a follower of the creator God. He gets to the wilderness. Identity did not change. So he starts off his narrative, he was abandoned. Let's look at the next part of his life. Now he's serving as the ca- uh, in the house of the captain of the bodyguard for Pharaoh. And we find here in chapter 39, now go over to chapter 39. And in verse 2, We see the Lord was with Joseph, and Joseph became successful. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, his master saw that the Lord was with Joseph, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant, and and he made him overseer of all his house. And all that he owned, he put into Joseph's charge. Verse 5, It came about from that time on, when Joseph was made overseer in the house. And over all that he owned, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. And the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house. And he left everything under his care. So now in Joseph's life, he's sold into slavery, his identity remains secure, and he rises up. He's not bitter. He probably struggles with some bitterness. He probably says, Lord, why was I abandoned by my brothers? I'm sure those questions came up. But he remained true, and he's seen that God is blessing what he's doing in this home. And others are recognizing it. Now, the next thing that happens, and we're fast-forwarding in the story, is Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph and said, That's a fine-looking man. (laughs) He's a strong guy, he's a good leader, I like him, and what I would like is to have him come to bed with me. And so she tries to seduce him, but Joseph, again, rooted in his identity, he avoids that temptation, now she's finding herself embarrassed, and she's thinking, oh, if my husband finds out I made a move, I'm the one in trouble. So what does she do? She sets Joseph up, and he then goes to her husband, and says, he tried, he came on to me. Look, I'm holding his robe. He came after me, and I screamed, and he ran. Not true, but that's how she told it. And we find here now in verse 20 of chapter 39, Joseph's master took Joseph and put him into jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him, and he gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. You're starting to see a pattern in his life? So Joseph starts off, he's abandoned by his brothers, but his identity remained. Now we see him betrayed by someone. I would say that's Wilderness. I would say you're now wandering in the desert, and you thought, okay, I can handle, I'm a servant and the captain of the bodyguard, I can handle this, but now I'm in prison and I did nothing wrong? This is called a wilderness moment. God, I thought you had plans for me. I imagine now Joseph wrestled with that. I bet his prayers at night were, God, where are we going wrong here? But, We also learned something from his life. The next thing we learn is this. A change of location does not mean a change of calling or a new calling. Just because the location in your life changes doesn't mean that the calling that God has on your life has changed. It might be an unexpected new job for you. Maybe a move to a new city. Maybe a new relationship. We can look at these and think, okay, God... What you've called me to, I guess, it's, I guess I was wrong. Maybe now there's something different. Now, maybe, Lord, as a child of God, I'm going through all this hardship. I just need to retreat for a while. What are you inviting me to? Now, if you say, hey, Ryan, I don't know what God has called me to. Let me give you an idea. We already said it. We've been rescued and been invited to the ministry of reconciliation. We're called to go and make disciples of all nations. We're called to represent the kingdom of God here and now, the way we live. That's your calling. How it looks is going to be very different. Your calling might be to live that out as an accountant at a big firm, maybe a small firm, maybe as a business owner. But your location doesn't change the calling of what God has for you. Look what happens with Joseph now in chapter 40. He has now been placed, he's in prison, unrightfully there. He's been betrayed. I would not probably be a good prisoner in this moment. I just don't know if I could be the kind like, that's okay, Lord. This is where you have me? Great. Look what he does. Chapter 40, we find two new characters to the story. Pharaoh's own people who work for him. One is a cupbearer back in the old days. His job was to make sure the drink wasn't poisoned. <laughs> he got a drink of the wine and said, I didn't die. It's your turn. Great job. Um, and then the second one was when the chief baker. We find that Pharaoh gets angry with them and puts them into prison as well. So they're unrightfully, we think, in prison. Look down to verse 6 of chapter 40. Uh, chapter, uh, sorry, verse 5. He says, The cupbearer and the baker uh, for the king of Egypt, they were confined to jail. Both of them had a dream that night. Each had his own dream with his own interpretation. Verse 6. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, he saw that they were dejected, and he asked the Pharaoh's officials who were with them in confinement in his master's house, said, why are your faces so sad today? This is a subtle little simple sentence. You might not pick up on it. Joseph now was in a new location, but his calling to represent God, to be the child of God that he knew he was, was still being played out. He was aware of others and their suffering in this moment. This is pretty profound, isn't it? He sees other prisoners and he's like, hey, you guys look down today. What's going on? Which to my response would be, um, I'm in prison. That, 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 that's why? <laughs> But there's something about Joseph and his awareness of the situation that he was still living out who he was even in this moment. And instead of becoming bitter, we see that Joseph was becoming compassionate. Instead of bitterness, we find compassion. Why? Because the location didn't change his calling. Now he could relate to these people who were put in a prison. He said, oh, you're unrightfully in here? So am I. And he was able to then Meet them in that moment. So, what do we learn? So, what does that really mean about us in the season of wilderness? God might just be using that season in your life to expand your idea and to be more aware of others and other circumstances. I remember for my family, we were living um, in the Middle East, and when we were living there, I was studying at Hebrew University, and the goal was. Most likely going towards PhD so that um, I had this hope of maybe one day teaching in universities and my ministry could be to college students and all of that. I realized I had three kids. That was very hard to study and get a PhD with three kids. I probably missed that window. And so um, we decided to do the next um, easiest thing, and we came back to the States and planted a church. And and so, and and we had really good timing. It was 2008. Um, If any of you remember 2008... Fantastic time to start a nonprofit or an organization. <laughs> so I came back and we were planting a church and part of it was I was going to be bivocational. So many of you know the story. I worked in management, um, in retail, bringing coffee to the people of the world. That was <laughs> my new location, but not my new calling. But it was really hard at first to not mix the two. Because the questions that often came up was, Lord, why am I in this location? This doesn't seem like a good place to be. And every morning when I put on my green clerical robe (laughs) at four in the morning, I thought, Lord, certainly you had different plans for me than this. And the location started bothering me. And then in time, one thing I realized that I didn't realize before was that in this location for this season in my life, there were people who came to me who would never show up at a church. There were people who came to me every single day who didn't have any pastors in their life or anyone who really cared. And it was 2008 and there was a little greater need for people to have some comfort and encouragement. And what happened is I started asking people how their day, how they're doing. I was praying with people about the cancer they're going through, the houses they were losing, the jobs that they had changing. I would have people crying while they received their skinny vanilla latte every morning. I kid you not. They'd be in line like, I'm really sorry. I'm like, no, I, I hope it's a good drink. Uh, but it took me a while to realize that the location wasn't the issue. My calling hadn't changed. That I was a son of God called to bring the kingdom of God here and now. And whether it was in retail or in a church or in a university, that didn't matter. It didn't change who I really fundamentally was and what God was inviting me to. Sometimes when we're in that season of wilderness, it feels like, God, I'll just wait till I get out of this and then I'll figure out what you want for me but it might just be that you're in where you are because he has something for you, and I believe he does. Joseph didn't allow the location to change his calling. phrase maybe you've heard us say before, but I love, is sometimes in the wilderness, your misery becomes your ministry. The thing that you are going through is uniquely setting you up to walk with someone else through that very same thing that others couldn't possibly understand. The location doesn't change the calling. Joseph's story goes on into the last part, part, point for us here today. He interprets this dream of the cupbearer and of the baker. And he says, hey, when these dreams come true, make sure you tell Pharaoh about me and, and get me out of here. He still wanted to get out of the location, which is another side note. It's okay to not want to be in the wilderness, Okay. It's okay to not want to be in there. And he says, remember me. And they said, of course we'll remember you. Look at the last verse of chapter 40. The dreams came true just as Joseph said the cupbearer was restored to his position. Verse 23, yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Are you kidding me? (laughs) He's abandoned by his brothers. He's betrayed by Potiphar's wife, and now he's forgotten by his fellow prisoner. Of all people, you'll remember me, right? Oh, I've, I just totally forgot, sorry. <laughs> we find out that he forgot him for two years. Again, I don't know how long your wilderness is gonna last. Sometimes it lasts a lot longer than we could ever want it to. Two more years in prison. And every time he probably heard about the cupbearer, don't you think? He was like, cupbearer. <laughs> and then we find in chapter 41, Pharaoh has a dream. In Pharaoh's dream, he's frustrated. He's angry. He's thinking, I don't know what this means. He's trying to figure it out. And then we find in verse, or chapter 41, chapter, or verse 11. Actually, let's go back to verse 9. Then the cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh and said this, I would make mention today of uh, my own offenses. Just don't get mad at me. But Pharaoh was furious with his servants. He put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream the same night, and each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was with us in there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. We related the dream to him. He interpreted our dreams each to us. To each one, he said, he interpreted to our own dreams. And just as he said it, so it happened, he restored me to my office. But the baker got hung. That's a different part of the story. <laughs> so verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. I think, and finally, Joseph is restored. Not just restored, but he's elevated to being second in command of Egypt. The story goes on and the, his original dream comes true when his brothers and his parents bow down before him and he has this great authority over all of Egypt. It's extending to the ancient Near East. He finally got to where God was leading him. But he was in the wilderness for quite a while. The last thing that we say, see here after he was forgotten that a change of your roadmap does not mean a new destination. See, Joseph had this destination laid out for him. God had a plan for him. I believe God has a plan for how he wants to use your life. I don't know what that looks like for you. You might not know yet either. I've never had the privilege that Joseph had of having this clear dream where God said, okay, here's exactly what's going to happen. That would be awesome. That hasn't happened for me. But I know that God has something in my life that where I'm at now and perhaps even where I will be in 20 years from now. But how we get there, sometimes when we see those little changes of direction, we think, okay, maybe God has changed his mind. And a change of the roadmap doesn't change the destination. We tend to want to live our lives on the five with no traffic going where we want to go. Do we not? Yes. I mean, okay, where do we need to get? We're going there. There's no traffic. I'm on the freeway. All the cops are at home today. Great. That's just, <laughs> this, is, this is how we want to live our lives. Get us where we're going. And then as soon as we get to that sign that says, oh, detour ahead, and as soon as your ways map starts sending you through other people's neighborhoods and through parking lots, (laughs) and you start thinking, where are you leading me? The The roadmap might change, but the destination doesn't. And many of us never get to meet Pharaoh because we give up when the roadmap changes. Some of you get frustrated in the wilderness as I do. And some of you are just on the edge of saying, God, maybe it's time to give up, because this doesn't seem like the path that I thought you'd have me on. This doesn't quite make sense what my kids are going through. God, it doesn't make sense what my family's going through. It doesn't make sense the health issues. Why is the roadmap changing, Lord? But it just might be that you are just a little ways away from meeting Pharaoh, being elevated. But let's not give up when the roadmap changes. For our young people, I I was a youth pastor for many years, and one of the things that breaks my heart is it's tough when you're young and the roadmap changes. You grew up going to youth group, You grow up at Hume Lake with these mountaintop moments, you go on mission trips, life is pretty good. It's tough in high school, but your faith is strong. You go off to college and the roadmap starts changing. You're in the wilderness, and it's easy to say, God, maybe you're not that maybe I was wrong. You weren't there at all. Don't give up when those roadmaps change. Don't give up. Joseph, one thing we see here is that instead of learning to retreat and not be And just say, forget it. He learned to be available. When Pharaoh called on him, he went and he said, okay, hey, I don't interpret dreams, but tell me your dream. God God will give you the answer. So as we look at this and kind of introduce the series and see that wilderness can be a time of learning for us, we want to know that if you are in the wilderness, don't give up where you're at. Keep looking, asking these questions. Maybe you've gotten through it or you're in it. Where is it leading you? I have a few questions on the end of your outline there if you like this. Where did this lead me? What are the new relationships or circumstances that this thing led me to? The wilderness. When I look back at my roadmap of life, I don't think I would have drawn it the way I do, the way it ended up. But it's amazing to say, oh, if that didn't happen and this didn't happen, this wouldn't have happened. It's amazing how God kind of put things together when we look back. You learn patience and trust and perseverance. Maybe another question you can ask is, who do I better understand coming through the wilderness? Those just might be the people that God is going to use you in their lives. I love when I interact with some of you here who are involved in NA or AA and the stories of, man, God rescued me out of my life and now I'm part of working and walking with others in their struggles with addiction and to see other people discover life in Christ because of your ministry that you've been through. I can't do that. So with the wilderness of your life, who do you better understand because of it? And then the next question is, what do we learn about God's character when we go through the wilderness, we learn about his faithfulness, that he gets us through. Sometimes it takes a while. Uh, Major Ian Thomas uh, was talking about learning to trust Christ time and again when, and how he always shows up. And he has a simple prayer. And his prayer is, God, I thank you, Lord, that you showed up last time. Now I am confident that you will show up this time because you are never less than big enough. You're never less than big enough. I want you to think of that. We learn that when God takes us through the wilderness, we wouldn't learn about how big God is. We wouldn't learn about how his faithfulness shows up if we're always on I-5 with no traffic. We wouldn't learn that this roadmap might not be leading us astray, but it's leading us right where he wants us. We wouldn't learn that if we don't go through it. But when we do, we look back and say, God, I've noticed that you've never been less than big enough for this situation, somehow. And I wanna encourage you if you're here today saying, it doesn't feel like God's big enough right now. I wanna encourage you to reach out, to walk with some people who will love you, pray with you, and just sit with you in the journey. We believe there's hope for whatever situation you're in, but it might take a minute. And we don't want you to go through that alone because that's a really hard thing to do. We want to be people who believe that God is never less than big enough. And this takes practice to remind ourselves of the truth time and again. So as we end, we're going to sing a song. It might be new to some of you, but this song we've chosen for this series because we believe it's just a reminder of who God is. It's a reminder that he does show up. And in these moments, this is the more we remind ourselves of where God has shown up in his character, the more we can also walk with one another through these. So I wanna invite you, stand with me here as we end this time and and sing one final song. I wanna pray with you and let's just make this last song a declaration of Lord. Remind us, this is who you are. Help us believe it as we leave here today. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for how good you are. And Lord, even the times it doesn't feel like you're good, I imagine Joseph being abandoned, being betrayed, being forgotten. There had to have been times, Lord, when he wondered where you were. Lord, for some in this room right now, they're wondering, where are you? Lord, would you remind us that you are are right here with us when we are in Christ. You haven't gone anywhere. And so remind us of that truth. God, I pray that you would show us just a glimpse of who you are and what you're up to. Because we believe that you are the one who will make a way when there's no way. Lord, and Pharaoh, the meeting with Pharaoh might be just on the horizon. Lord, would you help us endure to that moment? Shape us through this, Lord for your name and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.